Welcome to our Told Me to Learn and Develop for Medical Educators podcast series from the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. In March of 2020, I interviewed one of our fourth-year medical students who since graduated, Dr. Joanna Marantitis, and Dr. Douglas McHugh, the course director for our Scholarly Reflection and Concentration Capstone course. We talked about teaching evidence-based medicine throughout the four years of medical school, what's helpful to learn early on, and how clinician educators can reinforce that learning. Welcome to our Told to Learn and Develop podcast series at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. This podcast is for busy medical school faculty who want to expand their knowledge and teaching. I'm Lisa Coplett, the Associate Dean for Faculty Development and a general internist, and I will bring you interviews with experts in medical education, fellow faculty, and medical students to discuss the issues most relevant to today's medical educators. Today we're talking about what we can do as faculty to teach and promote the use of evidence-based medicine for our learners. With me today is Dr. Douglas McHugh, the director of our Scholarly Reflection and Concentration Capstone course, we call SRCC, here at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine. He also has a PhD in pharmacology, and when he starts talking, you'll be able to guess where he earned his PhD, and more recently completed his master's in health professions education. If the illustrious Dr. McHugh wasn't enough, I have a second guest today, Joanna Marantitis, a fourth year student here at Netter. Joanna was one of eight students who took my teaching elective last month. During the four week elective called Teaching in Medicine, students learn about teaching theory and apply that by doing lots of teaching for the year one and two students. As part of the elective, Joanna helped Dr. McHugh teach a session in the SRCC course about evidence-based medicine. Our goal today is to talk about opportunities and methods for teaching this important skill. Welcome, Doug and Joanna. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. So, Doug, I am going to start with you. You teach EBM as part of the SRCC course. Can you explain when and where it's taught in the curriculum and what methods you're using right now to teach it? Sure. I'd be happy to. So SRCC's full title is a bit of a mouthful, but it really boils down to teaching our medical students how to engage in scholarship and really critical thinking, and that's where the evidence-based medicine piece comes in. Uh, So over our our first and second year, we've created a series of evidence-based medicine teaching events that are kind of clinical-based in nature to try and provide some relevancy to the students to help them understand why we're teaching them uh, about looking for really good, best evidence, how to think about that in the context of clinical judgment and also pay attention to patient choices or values. And a lot of it's centered just around deliberate practice. So we have six sessions in uh, first year and two in second year where the students are kind of analyzing and breaking down the case, trying to generate a clinical question thinking about what search terms they should uh, use to find potential evidence to answer that question. Go and look, appraise and think and reflect on the evidence that they potentially find. Is it good evidence? Is some of it questionable? Is some of it better quality than others? Uh, And then really extract data and summarize kind of what they found in order to, to, to guide themselves or to colleagues or patients towards an answer. So in first year, that's very much kind of classroom based. And in second year, we're trying to 
take it out of the classroom and put it into our, our MESH clinic. So that uh, MESH stands for Medical Student Home. It's, it's where our students go once a week to practice at a primary care site. Uh, so to have them generate a clinical question based on uh, a genuine patient encounter that they've had either uh, at, at MESH or, or maybe uh, shadowing some, someone elsewhere in the, the curriculum and really think through more independently what kind of clinical questions come up, how do I look for evidence, how do I begin to answer those. And I'm curious what kind of feedback you get from the students once they start applying it in MESH because I would imagine that it probably feels like uh, a bit of, um, it feels potentially a bit artificial when you're doing it around mock cases and just learning how to appraise various types of literature and then they're now they're putting it into action fairly early because I know that um, for myself and probably a lot of others, a lot of other docs that you didn't start even beginning to use it uh, in sort of the real life until third year, if then. Yeah, so some of the things that we've heard more informally, anecdotally, uh, from from some of our second year students is, I think, just an appreciation that, yeah, you're, you're pretty time limited if you're asking yourself a question or a colleague's asking you a question or a patient you don't have an abundance of time to go and look for answers. So I think that really becomes real for them when they're trying to think about a question that they've come up with themselves from a patient who's a, a real life person that they're maybe gonna see again in the future. So that's one piece. Uh, and then other kind of thoughts and reflections of, hmm, there's things that my MESH preceptor is doing or I've seen other people do. And through a discussion with that person, we've thought through is, is this, is this actually kind of evidence-based? Should we be doing this? Should we change it? Should we be doing it for all the patients who fit a certain kind of criteria, whether it's um, screening or, or should we rely on, on other sets of evidence before you know uh, tests kick in or how we interpret kind of lab results? So it's helped them begin to kind of think and realize rather than just taking everything for granted from someone who's more experienced or who's an authority figure, there's times when, yeah, you listen to that for sure, but then think about it critically and go and see what the kind of basic, uh, basic science says about those things. So it's kind of nice to see that kind of become a little bit more real for the second years. Yeah, one of the things that we're talking about today too is thinking about how do you teach this at different stages of clinical training through medical school? And it's, and it's really interesting to see, I'm sure, how that evolves over time. So this particular podcast was inspired by the session that the both of you recently did within the SRCC course, the EBM session that you taught together. And I'd love to hear, Doug, uh, what happened in that session, either with the other students or for yourself, that made you think, this was great and let's talk about this more broadly. Yeah, it, well, I've known Joanna since she was a first year in, in taught her in a variety of settings so I knew she would be great to, to just kind of facilitate and lead the session as part of your teaching elective like you mentioned so I was really looking forward to it and uh yeah Joanna really kind of stepped up she, she just brought her own lived experience gave the students a lot of good practical insight and advice in terms of this is what this is maybe going to look like for you once you get into the clinical years in your third year or your fourth year uh and and she can speak with 
with that authority to voice that lived experience that I as a PhD faculty member don't have, she's helping the second year just see over the horizon a little bit of here's what's coming down the line, here's what I found, here's some of the things that I've kind of learned and tips that I've picked up and I, I just thought that was gold. That's great. So Joanna, <laughs> in an article about questioning medicine, a third year family medicine resident in St. Petersburg General Hospital in Florida said the following, this is a quote, as a doctor, I can't just be a vending machine of medications and tests that other people think are good to give out. I need to take some personal responsibility to find out why I'm giving these. And I don't mean just reading abstracts and guidelines. I mean reading the research that they're based on. What's your reaction to that as you listen to it? I think it's true. I think we're getting further and further away from prescribing something or treating something a certain way because everyone before us has done it that way. And I think the next generation of clinicians is really using this evidence-based model. So I think it's true. I think um, on the floors and uh, in the hospitals, so much of it is evidence-based directed and everyone's ex explicitly talking about research. So in this trial, this is what they did. And in this trial, this is what they did. And as a student and as a resident, you're expected to know those trials and the impact that they've had on the field. So I definitely think it's, it's true. And I think, as I'm, as I'm listening to both of you talk, I think that this is more true than ever and will continue to be because we're in such a stage of information explosion. So what you learn in medical school, what medical schools are working towards is trying to help students learn how to appraise new information that's coming in because things that they learned in terms of content are going to change. So when the new information comes in, is this something that I should use? Is this, is this a quality study? How do I figure this out? How do I apply it to my patient? And more than ever, I think is that really relevant? I, I agree. Like in some fields, the half-life of knowledge, you know how, how quickly the turnover is, is, is down to four or five months. Some things are longer and more stable, but right. if, if we're learning more at that rapid a yes. pace, you kind of need to be able to interact with, with uh, that stream of information and, and help it guide you, yeah. which is tough. Independently learn on your own. That's really the, the new model for, uh, for medicine. So as a fourth year student, soon to be resident, in what settings have you seen doctors asking clinical questions and seeking their own answers from the literature? Have you ever noticed any anybody who was particularly so good one, at that? Yeah, so one of my uh, internal, internal medicine uh, preceptors, she was relatively, relatively new from residency, and so she did a lot of that, saying we would talk as a team and talk about um, what was going on and she would go look on her own and email us back the current literature so send this massive email saying um, this is what I found this is this, this trial that trial and this is how we should apply it to this patient and I think that that was just a really great example of doing that and then she also encouraged all of us to do that too and so she started this email thread so that she and she set the stage for um, just disseminating information to the team and then we could also use that stage as leverage too. That's great. Um, great role modeling is what I hear. Oh, definitely. So one thing I'm thinking about is in different ways that we teach this. So we can teach evidence, the use of evidence-based medicine in a directed way, right? So you're doing this in years one and two. You're saying here are the, 
here are the steps you're going to work through. I want you to find a clinical question in your medical student home site. And then there's also uh, self-directed learning. And that's then what you're doing as you move up in your training and as you move out of training, self-directed being that the, the learning is entirely driven by your own needs to learn. And you're not being asked to by somebody else. And so when we think about how can we promote or nurture that self-directed learning, I think one of the really important ways is, is that role modeling in terms of teaching. You know, that we're looking up questions, that we're bringing back the answers and not always giving that question to the student to go look up to. How often have you been asked to research and then answer clinical questions in the clinical years, as opposed to year years one and two? Probably every day, if not multiple really? times. Yeah, it comes up so much, and I think each rotation does it a little differently, and that those questions come up a little differently, but I think probably every day that there's an expectation that you're reading the literature or asking. So for family medicine, you would have a patient coming in who might have seen a commercial for a drug and saying, oh, look, this is mm. something that I want to try. And so I've had the preceptor turn and say, like, is this something you think that they should be on? What do you think about this? And so and then something more formal in medicine um, on in the hospital saying this is, we have this XYZ patient, look up the data to see what it is. So in all contexts, almost every day, I would say third year, you're sent to go look stuff up and bring it back to the team. And I guarantee that your faculty are really happy that you're going and doing that too, because none of us can all keep up with the literature right. independently. <laughs> right. So we've right. got to share that information. Right. That's great. Um, and are there things, questions that you've sought the answers to where the evidence was very contradictory or very uncertain? I would imagine that there have been. Yeah, and I think that um, is a great way for when it does come up. So if you think of a question and the evidence doesn't necessarily paint a clear picture, that's a great way to engage in a conversation with faculty saying, hey, I was doing some reading on this last night. Um, the evidence seemed a little contradictory. How do you make that decision or what? do you do to how would you treat your patients in this situation and hearing their thought process also kind of helps bring clarity to the situation that you can't necessarily just glean from the literature so having that open discussion about uh, your decision making process and whether you're going to use this piece of information and you can apply it to your patient that open discussion was very helpful for oh, you definitely okay that's that's great Doug, how often do you get this kind of feedback from third and fourth years about their real life experiences with EBM? Currently not very often. And the honest answer to why that is, is, is we've only really been doing this as part of a formal teaching in SRCC for about 18 months. And we partner with another one of our big preclinical courses, uh, CAS, the, the Clinical Arts and Science course. So both leadership teams are working to kind of think and reflect and get feedback on how to improve this joint um, EBM activity, teaching activity that we do. So so currently not a lot of information. So it's, I, like I got really excited and, and inspired to hear what Joanna had to say when she was teaching with me. But it's something that we'd, we'd like to hear in, in, in a way that's uh, useful and productive. But like we also recognize third and fourth year are really busy and our, our students have a lot to do. So trying to find that sweet spot of getting 
feedback or getting thoughts or comments that we can implement from them without without tiring them out constantly by badgering them for their their thoughts yeah they probably (laughs) desperately don't want you to send them a survey that's my guess so it seems as we talked about there's a lot more evidence-based medicine learning going on in the first two years now in medical schools and i have two questions around that one is have you seen anything that people are doing at other schools that you thought was really interesting? Um, well, I'll start with that. Let me start with that. Some schools are trying to follow and are, are not necessarily follow us. That's okay. But, you know, some, it was innovative. They're, they're, they're doing similar things to us in that they're beginning to introduce medical informatics and searching and finding and appraising uh, medical literature in, in the preclinical years to be honest I don't haven't seen many putting as much emphasis on it as we are in terms of kind of deliberate practice providing a variety of case-based different kind of contexts and then trying to transition to something a little bit more independent in year two before our students transition to years three and four but other people are doing it but traditionally it's kind of been held off until you're an intern your your first year of residency and we're trying to give people a, a better skill set before they, they get there so that they can shine and impress, but also uh, get a better patient care from the, 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 the get-go. If you could, if none of the rest of the curriculum mattered and you could have whatever curricular <laughs> time you wanted to teach this, can you imagine what else we could be doing in the first and second year? I don't necessarily think we would need more in terms of quantity, but... I'm hoping that over the next few years that we can tweak and and change the the quality so that it's a little bit more integrated within the first two years. Um, Perhaps with with the MESH primary care uh, site experiences that they have in their first two years, but then also partner with, with our colleagues in third and fourth year of help me learn what you're doing in the different clerkship sites so that we can partner together either to create teaching events that work for you in third and fourth year or that we can we can get some feedback to tweak and nuance what we're doing in first and second year to get our students a little bit better prepared for for transitioning to third and fourth year so yeah time time and resources not so much being devoted into creating more of this but just better, better partnerships working together with, with other kind of stakeholders so that it's more fine-tuned, tighter, uh, better kind of quality experience for, for the students and for the people who are looking to see this uh, be developed later on in our curriculum. And that's so in line with our curriculum strategic planning group goals, which you co-chair in trying to improve our integration between our preclinical and our clinical years. And I think really helpful for people to hear who teach in both areas and thinking about, okay, well, what is happening in year one and two? And I can really build on that in year three and four because they're getting a really nice foundation. Yeah. Joanna, I want to come back to you. Um, What advice do you have for teaching faculty in the clinical years, in years three and four? How can they better help prepare students to integrate the best evidence 
uh, with their individual expertise and patient's choice. That's a really complex task. It's a complex, complex task for seasoned faculty, let alone the third, the fourth year student or the early resident. So do you have any advice for teaching faculty in terms of what they can do to help trainees? Yeah, I think one one thing would just be to flip the question back to the trainees and really give them, empower them to look up the research on their own because it's really easy for a student to ask, oh, why are you doing X versus Y or why, um, what, what would you do differently here? Or whatever the question may be, but just really having the faculty ask the students that question too and saying, well, why do you think I'm doing what I'm doing? Or um, have you seen any literature on this? Or would you like to look something up? Or just really empowering the students and have creating that open conversation with students so that they feel comfortable coming to you with questions too. And then that'll really help facilitate this kind of evidence-based medicine and information gathering. That's a great suggestion. And, and another thought that I had is, you know, so often when you're on sort of typical inpatient rounds, the, you know, your resident or your attending might say to you, so I want you to go look this up tomorrow and come back and, you know, teach the rest of us. And I'm thinking, you know, one other thing that might be really useful is to not skip over that first part, which is what is it that I need to know? And then what's the question? So potentially even saying, so what about the care of this patient? do you need to learn more about to, by tomorrow, you know, in terms of taking care of them? And even trying to draw out that sort of reflective piece of what do I need to learn more? Oh, and, and say, okay, that's great. So what's your clinical question? Let's form the clinical question together. I think even those early steps are so critical uh, because, you know, I remember so often being told, well, go look up systolic heart failure for tomorrow. And it's this massive <laughs> content right. area but how, how you can narrow it down so, you know, so much towards the care of, and, and apply it towards the care of this patient. And that's what you're going to be doing in, when you're on your own. Definitely. So I'm hoping that some students will listen to this podcast, even though our primary audience is teaching faculty. I think a lot of the topics like this one would be interesting for students. So for students who might be listening, what advice do you have for first and second year students who haven't gotten to the floors yet? in terms of asking, researching, answering clinical questions in years three and four? Yeah, so I think when I was about to start third year, some advice I got was don't ask questions you should already know the answer to, which was really conflicting for me because I felt like I should know everything. So I was always a bit intimidated to ask questions on things that I thought I should already know about. But one way that I got around that and I think really helped me shine on rotations was I would ask those deeper level thinking questions. And so I would go home and read up on the patient or the disease process that we were talking about and presenting that to my preceptor saying, hey, I was reading last night that we could be using X drug for this disease. What do you think about that? Or is this something we could apply to our patient? Or can you explain your rationale as to why you chose to use this drug? And so asking really those deeper level thinking questions kind of helps the preceptor see that you're thinking critically about what's going on too and helps you stand out on the floors as well. And so it's almost the reverse. It's still evidence-based medicine and it's still information gathering, but take putting the onus on yourself to do it and then presenting that information to your preceptor really helps, I think helps show that you're involved and actively engaged and thinking about what's going mm -hmm. on with your patients too. 
So not, and, and do I understand right that you're mm-hmm. saying not to wait for your preceptor right. to instruct you to go look it up? Is that right. one of the messages that you're trying to get across? Yeah, so just do it, do it yourself. You should be reading kind of on your own um, and really bringing that to the team. And that's where you can really add value because most residents are pretty busy people and they don't necessarily have time to be looking up the literature on their own and presenting it to the team. So that's definitely something that the medical student can do and can benefit everybody. Um, that's so helpful. And what I found so striking about what you said today is it's still sticking in my mind that you said, I do this every day. And you're towards the end of your fourth year now. And so doing this all through third year, all through fourth year, that that's, that's pretty, um, that's really interesting. And I think that's really different um, that that evidence-based medicine and, and learning how to ask and research the clinical question has become so integrated into daily learning for mm-hmm. students. So that's fantastic. And I think it's great for first and second years to see that what they're learning now is 100% applicable, that it's so important. Doug and Joanna, thank you so much for sharing your time, ideas, and expertise with us today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us as well. This was the Told Podcast to Learn and Develop from the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine Faculty Development Program at Quinnipiac University. I'm Lisa Coplett, and we just had the opportunity to speak with Dr. Douglas McHugh and soon to be Dr. Joanna Marantitis about teaching evidence-based medicine. I'd like to thank the people who contributed to this show, Katie Lyons, our producer, Aidan Schmidt, audio engineer, David DeRoche, our program director, and branding and graphics team, Lauren Miller and